Hello, and welcome to Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each week I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Joe Iconis. Joe is a composer, lyricist, book writer, and performer whose musicals include Broadway Bounty Hunter, Blood Song of Love, The Black Suits, and Be More Chill. Be More Chill is currently running off-Broadway through September 30th in a sold-out run, although people can still get in through cancellations. He is a winner of the Jonathan Larson Award and the Ed Kleban Award, and received his MFA from NYU's Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program. We're going to talk today about outsider characters in musical theater. Hey, Joe. Thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, So we're going to get started with our get to know our guest questions. So what was your first experience with a musical? So the first musical that I actually saw was Little Shop of Horrors. I saw the original production of The Orpheum in 1987. Uh, Yeah, I was six years old. I saw it September 27th, 1987. Um, So that was my first actual musical that I saw. But I feel like my first uh, sort of exposure to the musical form was probably um, uh, simultaneously Muppets Take Manhattan and the Michael Jackson Thriller video. I was really obsessed with both of those things pre-being obsessed with Little Shop. What is the last great musical you saw? You know, the last great musical that I saw was The Lion King. <laughs> um, I went uh, I went with my wife, uh, the great Lauren Marcus, randomly like a few months ago to see it because she had never seen it. Oh, yeah. And we got like, you know, free tickets. I, I saw it, you know, a few times when it first like, right. came out or like around the time when it first came out. Yeah. And I just hadn't seen it since. And I, like, absolutely loved it. Oh, wow. I feel like I should see that again because I, too, saw it mm-hmm. in, like, 1998 on, like, a high school chorus trip. Right, to, like, <laughs> right, right, right. To New York. And I was so, like, jaded, I guess. And I was like, ragtime is, is better, you know? <laughs> no, <And> I know. <laughs> I know. 1998 was, like, a difficult <laughs> year for musical theater enthusiasts. Uh, and so I was definitely, like, a musical theater snob that was, you know, talking about, you know, writing and how the writing is better in these shows. But also, yeah. like, I think that, you know, musical theater is, like, it's more than just the writing, which is a right. crazy thing to say. And, like, Lion King is just, it's really moving. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, the visuals, beautiful. I remember being incredible. But it's, like, I think the visuals, like, truly interact with the the script and score yeah. in a way that is, is extraordinary. Which writers... Uh, both of the past and working today, do you admire most? Uh, so many. I admire uh, uh, Sondheim, uh, Kander and Ebb, I admire so much. You mm-hmm. know, I saw like the visit a few years ago. And just to think of where uh, uh, Kander and Ebb like, are at in their career when they wrote the visit is the weirdest Broadway musical I've seen probably in the last 10 yeah. years. It's so impossibly strange. Yeah, I and, loved it. And dire. Yeah. yeah, me too. But <laughs> it's I, so it was, strange. It was one of those things that I felt like even if you didn't respond to it, just the fact that it felt it felt so like like bizarre and yeah. like sort of cutting edge. And the men who wrote it, you know, or like in their like seventies and eighties when yeah. they wrote the show, uh, it just it, it really like thrills me to think like, oh man, there's hope yeah. for bizarre theater artists. <laughs> um, and uh, Michael R. Jackson and uh, Robert Kiki and. Uh, so many people. I don't know. There's just so many. 
What uh, is there a musical you saw recently or an older one that taught you something valuable about the craft of writing? Uh, you know, when I saw The Full Monty uh, for the first time, it was the, the first musical that made me realize that uh, lyrics could be funny in a, mm. in a real people way. Like lyrics could actually be funny in the way like, you know, a contemporary movie could be funny. Yeah. And it seems like a no brainer. And I'm, you know, I'm like fairly musical theater literate. So like there's plenty of musical theater, you know, the, the songs, lyrics, moments, whatever that have made me laugh and that I would find, you know, describe as funny. Yeah. Uh, but with the full Monty, it was just a type of humor that I uh, hadn't really seen. And it really, it changed the way I thought about lyrics. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like I had a similar moment where I like heard a character say a lyric in a show and I was just like, oh, like that is such a great example of like character humor yeah. coming out. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, like, and I immediately understood how jokes, character jokes like that in a lyric could be effective. I think, yeah, that was In This House by... Sarah Slesher oh, yeah, yeah. and Mike Reed. You know, I think it's so funny when I'm assuming that you, like myself, were someone who loved musical theater growing up, yeah. right? And so I think it's funny when you're someone who, like, ha- is is so aware of, of like, the canon of musical yeah. theater and 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 um, and the form that doesn't surprise you because you're just, like, you're just, it's in your bones. Right. That, like, sometimes then it takes, like, a random show or a random yeah. thing to, like, make you step back and be like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. This is, this is why I just had that reaction Right. What's a musical people might be surprised to find out you love? And why would they be surprised? Um, I bet people would be surprised to find out that I love... I love, uh, I love Miss Saigon. Oh, me too. I just yeah. love it. And I know... I mean, and I know it's, it's problematic in very many ways. Agree, yeah. Totally aware. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just love it. Like, yeah, I'm right there with you. That show, I mean, I saw it when I was a kid. I was mm-hmm. nine years old. And it was like one of the greatest, you know, experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw it again when they did it. They brought it back last year, and also one of the greatest experiences. Yeah, no, for me too. I'm just a sucker for like big sweeping <laughs> storytelling yeah. um, and heightened emotions. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that musical theater is uh, it's it, it's so you know it's such a, a inherently kind of melodramatic art form, yeah. right? And like. You know, certainly a lot of contemporary musicals sort of play against that, but there's something that I love about a show mm-hmm. with strong melodies and big, yeah. you know, feelings. I mean, feelings it's, it's and... operatic, basically. Like, yeah. It's, I mean, it's based on an opera, but, yeah. <laughs> but it, like, yeah. the form of it is, like, so operatic. Yeah. But it's that, like, actually, but also that style of music, the, like, British mega musical. And this, yeah. this is probably because of, you know, when I was born and, like, the musicals that I loved growing up. But right. I just, like, I have, you know, such a soft spot for Les Mis and, you know, Phantom and mm-hmm. all of those those shows and I feel like people would be surprised because I think a lot of people think of me as someone who's like like edgy or super <laughs> contemporary or it's like you know the only shows I like or right like, or like you know new you know rock musicals or <laughs> or like cool like hipster you know Brooklyn downtown musicals that right. no one's ever heard of because they're not cool enough to know um, but I just I love musicals of all shapes and sizes yeah. And so far in this podcast, I've only really talked about The Lion King and Miss Saigon, <laughs> which is surprising even to me. Yeah. Um, what moves you the most in a musical work? I am always moved when there's a uh, lightning collaboration between the performer and the material they mm. are performing. You know, I, um, I love, like, 
I love when it feels like, oh, this this person was put on earth to like perform mm. this one moment yeah. of musical theater. Wow, yeah. You know, like Tanya Pinkins uh, doing Lot's Wife and right. Carolina Change. Um, you know, Jennifer Holliday doing And I'm Telling You, that sort of stuff. Right. Like it's this like me. historic moment. Mm-hmm. For me, like um, I'm 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 so obsessed with Cabaret. Like Cabaret is my favorite musical, mm-hmm. and um, you know, seeing I, I saw so many amazing actors uh, play Sally Bowles mm-hmm. uh, during that first round of Cabaret. But seeing you know, I, I really love Susan Egan in that role. Mm-hmm. Like seeing her sing the song Cabaret, I just felt like, oh man, this is like this magic thing yeah. that it feels like. Oh, this is why she's existing to do that role. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, obviously, she was very well received in that part but I feel like you know it's not one of those things that everyone is just like oh like you know the definitive version of Sally Bowles is Susan Egan in uh, in 2001 but um, uh, you know but for me it felt like that you know it's just like oh this is the most perfect match of of actor and material all right well let's move on to our topic which is outsider characters in musical theater be more chill kind of has that that mm-hmm. theme <laughs> yeah but we're going to talk about a lot of different ones um so yeah why why do you think the outsider character is so prevalent in musical theater i mean it's probably a few things the something that i think is like the no-brainer is that the people who create musical theater i feel like for the most part mm-hmm. uh feel like outsiders yeah you know it's like I think it's very rare that like the you know the 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 guy who was like the you know captain of the football team, mm-hmm. uh, you know popular prom king, or you know the gal who is like valid well maybe who's valedictorian but <laughs> you know um, or like the woman who you know was like the most you know the popular um, uh, in, in, included mm-hmm. you know human being in high school go on to like write you know the lyrics or the, the music to a musical. Right. Um, so I feel like there's just an inherent sort of otherness and mm-hmm. people who like want to be creating musical yeah. theater that it's like we're, you know, everyone is telling their own story in, a, mm-hmm. in, a, in a, a certain way. I mean, and I also think that it's just, it's, that's where the, the stories lie, mm-hmm. you know? Um, or certainly the stories that require the treatment of musical theater. Yeah. You know, I feel like in other art forms, like, in, you know, in a movie, you can sort of get away with a sort of, like, very surface story about mm-hmm. um, about someone who's, uh, you know, like a, the, like the romantic comedy, right? Mm-hmm. You can have a story about, you know, two very attractive people who don't have a whole lot of issues <laughs> right, going on. Right, right. Um, uh, and, and, and it's fine, and, it, you know, it's, it's, it's all good, but yeah. in musical theater, you just simply need to delve deeper, even if it's not particularly, um, you know, well-written or insightful mm-hmm. musical theater. You just, like, the very nature of it, like, you're writing, you know, uh, you're, you're writing the internal struggle and in life of characters, and right. so I think, like, yeah, of course, those characters are going to be, you know, outsiders or mm-hmm. feel like outsiders right. in some way. Right. Yeah, I'm thinking of, like, a couple examples of shows that have the out like kind of that narrative of like an outsider character um coming in i mean there's definitely um dear evan hansen mm-hmm. on right now and uh yeah i don't know i was thinking greece even like even though those yeah. are like two yeah, yeah. popular groups i mean sandy is definitely like a kind of like this outsider coming in and being like oh my god yeah. taken into the fold but she's like right. not like them at all i mean until the end but you know right 
Um, but also what I what I really like about Greece yeah. is that the you know we encounter all of those kids as like the popular kids in school yeah but they're actually not the popular kid it just we uh, think they are I feel like because we're watching their musical yeah but I actually think that they're just like they're like they're like um just uh like bad kids you know <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like we're they're like the popular kids like amongst the like you know rough and tumble like right. you know bad kids at the school yeah. but I feel like Rizzo is probably like I can't I can imagine even though she's you know she's like she's cool and she's badass and she's confident right. I feel like if we ever actually saw Rizzo like walking through the halls of Rydell mm-hmm. she would you know people would be whispering about her <laughs> and people would be like rolling their eyes at her yeah. and you know saying like terrible things like mm-hmm. the amount of like you know, slut shaming that Rizzo probably had to right. deal with throughout her high school experience yeah. is, uh, you know, I think in another musical, mm-hmm. all of those people would be the like, you know, the yeah. sidekicks or right. the, well, I guess, the antagonists. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's why you get a song like "There Are Worse Things I Could Do" because yeah, like she, yeah, because she's not like the most, she isn't the most popular, like mm-hmm. nothing. Uh, could go wrong type <laughs> right, person. Right, right, right. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, and then also, you know, I think, like, the idea of the sort of high school outcast is mm-hmm. a, um, it's definitely a, it's definitely fertile ground, yeah. right? But uh, it's also, like, sort of a, it, there's something that's, like, sexy about that idea, you know, mm-hmm. which is, I think, why people keep returning yeah, to it, you yeah. know, like, the misunderstood right. young person. Yeah. Um, there's just something that feels like, you know, something appealing about that. As you said, like, a lot of a lot of people have that experience, and even if it's not, mm-hmm. like, like, a horrible experience, like, my high school experience wasn't horrible, but I, like, still... Likewise, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I still, like, you know, felt like... Yeah, like no, like I'm not like these people. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure, for sure. Yeah. The thing that makes me um, annoyed sometimes, though, is that I feel like because it's such a the outsider, the, especially like the high school outsider, mm-hmm. it's such a done thing. Like yeah. we have seen it so many times that I feel like if there's not a reason for it, it makes me really annoyed when mm. I see when I yeah. see that trope sort of trotted out. Yeah. In 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 musicals. Um, and the other thing that bugs me, and this is probably more a casting thing and probably more like relates to like my sort of larger, um, you know, casting hangups with musical mm-hmm. theater in general, but like it, nothing makes me like more annoyed than when I see this like, you know, out this outsider character and this kid who, uh, you know, is, is written to be just this total mess and you know, everybody hates him or her. And the actor is just like the most gorgeous musical theater <laughs> yeah. actor who has ever lived. Yeah. And I know that's not anything. I know there's like plenty of like, you know, beautiful people who, who do not feel that way. Right. But it's just something that bugs me. And I just think yeah. like you have, you know, you're like, you could not be a more, <laughs> right, <laughs> more right. perfect looking person, which yeah. I think, inf- uh, you know, affects the way that, you know, you carry yourself. And it just yeah. feels like it's, I see it so many times and it just makes me roll my eyes. Definitely. I mean, who, what you look like does affect everything about your interactions with right. the world. <clears throat> right, right. And because that's kind of how we live. But, yeah. So if you see a character who in, not even their, like not even commenting on their looks, but their, like, <laughs> their appearance is such that in a situation, in like a situation they would, probably be deemed popular uh-huh, uh-huh. and then you see them in a show where they're like not popular yeah. it, it makes no sense right, right right it's like something is just off about this yeah 
I cry foul. <laughs> um, you know, another my um, one of my favorite Sondheim shows mm-hmm. is uh, is Assassins, mm. um, which I'm so I'm I'm like so moved by Assassins whenever I I see it, which I always think is funny. Like I feel like the so many people talk about Assassins and talk about it as like sort of a you know it's like a cynical show and. And it, it's um, and people feel like disconnected from it, mm-hmm. but I am so like I relate so strongly to assassins in yeah. a way that I don't relate to um, something like Sunday in the Park with George, mm-hmm. which is a, which is a musical that I love and yeah. totally understand. Yeah, yeah. Why it's so you know um, uh, 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 so uh, ag- aggressively should be speaking to me as an artist, and right. it does. I get it, but there's just something on a gut level that I understand <laughs> more about, like the outcasts of right. of, of assassins. Yeah, you know. Yeah, how do you like? How, why do you think that is? Um, I don't know. I think because I'm like I'm always in a state of being like angry and frustrated assassins, <laughs> <laughs> even though you know there's a lot going on in mm-hmm. assassins. I yeah. think like the thing that they did with that show that I love so much is that they you know sort of like boil the political down to like the most personal, and the most yeah. personal is just like I I deserve a prize. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and I swear to God, every time that that, yeah. that refrain comes back in Assassins, like yeah. where's where's my prize? Right. I think like I know where is it? <laughs> yeah, it's like this. I was owed something. Yeah, it's like yeah, you're right. It just like boils it down <laughs> to this like, what do you want? <laughs> yeah, and just this idea of like this, you know. This 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 country or this you know whatever promised mm-hmm. me something yeah that I feel like I've worked really hard for and I haven't gotten it and yeah it's I don't know I just yeah I mean it definitely makes you feel like or think about like our relationship with the idea of this country in a way like yeah yeah <laughs> no for sure like what has the country been telling what is like the narrative of our of our country mm-hmm. been telling me what do I expect from it what am I expecting out of my life by living here? Yeah, it brings up all that stuff. Yeah, and then just the idea of, like, the, you know, the outcasts, the outcasts of assassins um, being outcasts, mm-hmm. you know, in their own yeah. in their own lives, with their mm-hmm. own, you know, their own hang-ups and their own, um, uh, you know, things that they, they think that they're owed from the people around them, you yeah. know, like the their, their wives and their husbands and their kids, um, while also being outcasts of... Uh, this country yeah. um, is something that I think uh, it's just a type of writing that I love, you know, right, like to right. like look at these huge issues through um, these really sort of tiny mm. personal yeah. moments. Yeah, definitely. Well, interesting you bring up Sunday in the Park. I have the kind of like the opposite where I like really relate to that show. Where yeah, it's yeah. like I see assassins and I'm like, I get this on an intellectual level, but it's not like, <laughs> and I love thinking about it, but it's not like, stirring me emotionally mm-hmm. but I think um, with Sunday in the Park it's interesting because like that is an adult character who is basically also an outsider mm-hmm. he's like George you know based on the artist George Surratt is not um, you know a part of any you know yeah. group and he's like this outsider who like can't connect you know with people and his mistress leaves him and you know all this stuff and uh and I, for some reason, I fell in love with that show at 15, and I think now that it just, like, perfectly expressed my adolescent angst. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that was my outsider character. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I related to both. Like, I related to George and Dot. But, like, thinking back on, like, why that musical just, like, was so it for me at 15, yeah. I just, 
I just must have been channeling all my angst like yeah. into those characters, yeah. even though it's not like a you know a high school musical at all. Oh but, no, of yeah. course, of course. When I was when I was in high school, I didn't relate to anything about yeah. high school at all. Yeah, like yeah. absolutely nothing. Right, right. One hundred percent exclusively exclusively related to like yeah. you know the outcasts of of, right. of you know the works of of Kander and Evans. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think yeah, it's interesting. For some reason, like when people get to high school, like everything becomes like hyper real, and mm-hmm. they like want to write about hmm. like so and so is mad at so and so, and but. But yeah, I feel like I mean maybe that's why we became writers was like we right. were not <laughs> we were not interested in like <laughs> that kind of stuff like we were more interested in like these larger stories that then like had these issues in them right 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 but no um, for sure but we're like using other things to like get at them <laughs> but yeah that's so funny I haven't thought about I haven't thought about that maybe ever mm-hmm. that I'm like I've that that I have I'm far more preoccupied with high school. Uh, now, <laughs> yeah. as an adult, as a 36-year-old man than I, I was when I was actually in high school. <laughs> so, like, when you were working on Be More Chill and, like, getting into that kind of outsider character, mm-hmm. like, mindset, I mean, I guess there's both, there's two. There's mm-hmm. Michael and... Yeah. Uh, Jeremy. Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah, so there's Michael and Jeremy, who are both outsider characters, and, uh, yeah, so what was, like, kind of the process of, like, getting into their their mindset? Um... You know, uh, the, for me, it's uh, for me, it's actually I think easy, not easier, but it, it sort of it just comes naturally to me mm-hmm. um, to write an outsider character because I feel like I deal exclusively in, in musicals mm-hmm. um, where people feel like they don't belong to yeah. the larger um, the larger uh, uh, group that they're in and need to sort of form their own family. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the as far as approaching the writing of, of uh, Jeremy and Michael, um, I, you know, whenever I've written young people, I just approach them like, um, like actual human beings, which sounds <laughs> uh, strange or something or, or obvious, but it's not. Yeah. You know, I don't think of, like, teenagers as like their own, you know, breed or something. Right, right. I, I just think of teenagers as, as, you know, adults. Like, it's they're, they're experiencing the same things that I experience as an mm-hmm. adult. Um, I think teenagers just don't have the vocabulary mm-hmm. to express exactly what they're feeling. And right. I don't think that they have built up the walls that we as adults naturally do mm-hmm. to stop themselves from going too far or revealing too much. Right. You know, so it's more that. It's more right. like like taking a filter off in a, in a certain way for me and then um, changing the, 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 the tools that I have at hand to express um, just because I think that, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, someone who's someone who is uh, 16 years old just simply has not acquired uh, the amount of the amount of tools that someone who is, is you know, 37 or 47 or 57 has right. um, to be able to uh, to articulate what's going on, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I guess Christine too is is kind of an outsider in a way. Yeah, I mean, honestly, all of the characters in Be More Chill are uh, feel like outsiders, you know. Yeah. And even and what I like like about the show is that um, even you know the sort of are like popular kids, mm-hmm. right? Which um, would probably be described as as you know uh, Chloe mm-hmm. uh, and Jake. Uh, even they, as the show goes on. Uh, make it very clear that they themselves 
feel like outsiders mm-hmm. and kind of are like they 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 neither of them feel comfortable in the role that's sort of been handed to them right um and it's and i and i like that it's like sort of it's you know we're sort of turning the not not totally turning the archetype on its head for those two but it's they're just not they're not like full throttle you know uh uh popular enough to be like placed in the box of like oh those are the popular kids right, you know right. and even like the brooke character who's sort of like the you know, the second in command mm-hmm. uh, to Chloe. And if we're talking in terms of like sort of classic high school stories, like the Mean Girls Heathers thing, mm-hmm. um, even she is like, she's so, uh, uh, she both is, you know, feels, uh, you know, she feels trapped by this person who's supposed to be her best friend, but mm-hmm. also she's sort of like mothers this person who's supposed to be her best friend. You know, it's all yeah. the relationships in the show, I feel like, yeah. are, um, are, are, uh, are are uh, coming from a place of um, everyone feeling like they don't quite belong, right? You know, yeah. I mean, I guess our only character who's not fully an outsider is the squip. Yeah. <laughs> um, but even the squip, I was just talking about this yesterday. Like the squip, um, you know, which is like literally a pill. Yeah. Uh, where, a, you know, it, it implants in, a, a supercomputer is inside of this pill, and then the supercomputer implants in your brain, and it tells you uh, how to behave. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the squip is sort of, you know, kind of like the villain of our show. Um, yeah. But he, uh, I just feel bad for him. Because it's like <laughs> he's doing this, he's doing terrible things, you know, and it's, and there's lots of like sort of like fascist, you know, imagery associated with him. And, um, and it, and, and it's, you know, he's sort of standing in for this sort of like, you know, numbing of society. And it's like this Apple idea of like, oh, if we were just all, you know, if we're all using Apple products, everything would be easier. <laughs> that's all. Um, but I just, you know, I, I, I think about that character and I yeah. think like he just, he really believes that. Like, and he can't yeah. help it. He's just, he's just simply programmed to believe right. that all these terrible things that he's doing are for the better. He's just trying to make everything better. Right. Yeah. You know? If everybody had a squib. <laughs> yeah. It would just be easier. That's right, all. Right. If we were just synced up in that way. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want life to be easy? Yeah. Um, you mentioned also Carrie um, is a musical. Yeah. You, like, I mean, that feels like it fits mm-hmm. into that um, that genre as well. For sure. I mean, I was like beyond obsessed with Carrie when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, we didn't have the internet, really. <laughs> and so um, I had to... Well, we had the internet, but we could only use the internet uh, when I was in like middle school and high school for meeting other people to then mm-hmm. trade physical tapes with. Yeah. Um, which is how I became quite familiar with the score of Carrie. It's just a musical that I, I love so much. I really yeah. like the original Broadway version. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the revival is, is great. It's yeah. all good. That's what I, I saw, the revival. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. The, yeah. Um, totally a different thing. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate the trashiness mm-hmm. um, and the, the just like batshit craziness of the original mm-hmm. Carrie. Um, before it was like trying to be turned into like a contemporary sort of um, uh, you know dramatically sound piece right, of theater, right. I loved the sort of like wildness of it. Carrie is like the ultimate you know outsider yeah. story, um, and just like a really crazy uh, tragedy, you yeah. know. But what was so inspiring about Carrie to me too is the you know I'm like really big on the highbrow lowbrow thing, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, that show there's like these moments in that show that are like truly great musical theater writing and so serious. Like all this stuff with Carrie and her mom, yeah. you know, and in the original, uh, it was Lindsay Hentley and uh, Betty Buckley. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like these musical theater scenes that were performed with such a ferocity. Yeah. Like I can't even imagine a big budget <laughs> musical based on a recognizable property like Carrie having scenes that were that insane and yeah. performed with like, it was like a, like a Steppenwolf play or something. Like 
Wow. Like they were like like singing these you know really like great but like 80s pop songs yeah. about you know about like blood and religion, yeah. just like losing their minds. Like it's just unbelievable musical theater acting. Oh and then so it would be like that, and then in the next scene it would be like this insane like cute song about kids at a drive-in. You know, <laughs> it's like oh the show is like Grease now. Um, and so that sort of like wild uh, yeah. you know that tension existing in a piece is something yeah. that I really love a lot. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, I feel like Hedwig is also like one of the quintessential yeah. outsider stories, characters, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of like about that journey of um, like feeling like an outsider and then accepting yourself. Most outsider stories follow that kind of narrative, mm-hmm. but this one just yeah. seems even more like specifically that what was amazing to me about Hedwig was like the outsiderness of that character and John Cameron Mitchell doing that mm-hmm. character um with uh being um being em- embraced in a certain way not just by the audience but yeah. by that character like I up until that point and even since I think I'm so used to or was so used to or am so used to seeing outsiders portrayed in this kind of like woe is me way you know and seeing things where it's like oh that poor that poor boy or that poor girl Um, and the fact that Hedwig uh, was this outsider who clearly had such a you know insane story and yeah. and um, so much had happened to this human being, um, but that her story was done as a rock concert and that Hedwig was like the most badass rock star yeah. of all time, so confident yeah. in in her outsiderness. That right. was something that really mm-hmm. I had never seen before, yeah. and even still, it's like, and it's something that still has so informed me because I, you know, when I talk about stuff like Be More Chill, um, or you know, other shows I've written like Broadway Bounty Hunter, mm-hmm. uh, I, I sort of talk about them as like a celebration mm-hmm. of 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 outsiders, a celebration of marginalized people, right. of others, um, and it's that idea that like, yeah, you can you can feel like you don't belong for whatever reason, but right. you can like own it, and it's something to be like cherished and yeah. celebrated, and that's something that Hedwig does like better yeah. than anything. I wonder like. Cause I was thinking about this, like the difference between like when you have an outsider teen character and outsider adult Mm -hmm. character, um, like just what the differences are. And like, that feels like definitely one of them, like an adult outsider character still has a lot of growth in them from when they were a teen. So like they are, they're still like in a way comfortable with themselves much, at least much more than Mm -hmm. they would have been had the story taken place when they were 15. Right. But, um, and it's interesting because when I saw Hedwig, that, that show, and I just saw, and I saw it for the first time when they did the revival, mm-hmm. and like that show really spoke to me on the level of like what I felt in myself was still part of my outsiderness as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and it like kind of, in a way, it like helped me deal with it. People are interested in teen stuff because like it gets at, you know, feelings that they, still have as adults and right. like they're they want to they go through the that story with them um because it you know brings out that stuff but there i think there's something to be said for like an adult way of being an outsider mm-hmm. that's um not a teen way of being an outsider right for sure which um and yeah Hedwig and and then also sunday in the park yeah um kind and of it- brings out Totally. And you know, another show we haven't talked about that I love, it's like my favorite musical probably the last 15 years, yeah. is Passing Strange. Oh, yeah. Um, which is, you know, all about that. Mm-hmm. And that's another one. That's another show, sort of like Hedwig, where I saw that show, Passing Strange, yeah. and I was like, this is about me. 
This yeah. is the road show but me. I've never felt like this. Even though, like, the circumstances of Passing Strange right. could not be farther away from my circumstances right. in every way. But it's it's that thing of, like, you know, so truly feeling feeling like an outsider. Right. And the specificity of that, you know, as an adult. Yeah. That it's just, it's, it's amazing. It's really brave. Often, you know, with outsider characters as adults, they're usually, like... Uh, you know, like the assassin's character, right. <laughs> or, right. or like you know, <laughs> right. Travis Bickle from a yeah, exactly, um, Taxi Driver or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, um, we're so used to seeing the outsider characters in, <laughs> in musicals or any art form, like as adults, like ultimately yeah. uh, harm someone right, <laughs> or right. themselves. That it's really nice, yeah. When an outsider can just be like you know, someone who's walking amongst yeah, us someone kind of okay with themselves, yeah, but someone, true to life. but who has something within them that they're like, I, this makes me different. I haven't even really like thought that much about oh everything I've ever written is about an outsider. Yeah. Like it's just so it's just so what I gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. It's just what's so natural to me. Yeah. Like and I you know I'm always gonna um yeah I'm just that's just the stories I'm gonna respond to. I, I remember saying to a few people like yeah I don't want to like write musicals about like the people who win the war. <laughs> you know like and it's still that's just who that's just it. You know yeah. it's like I don't and I I like shows like that. You know right. like I like you know I of course you know. Know, like things like you know like Hamilton or yeah. um, I, I love that but it's just I can't I just can't do it like I, just, yeah. I think it's like impossible for me to write like a hero who's like all you know yeah who's like a typical hero yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's interesting and I'm also wondering like because these are musicals and not movies or plays like what the music especially for you as a composer mm-hmm. like what you feel like the music is doing yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the music is, it's giving a peek inside these people, mm-hmm. right? And like in musical theater, even if the music is not being used in a traditional way, it's telling us something about the internal lives of the mm-hmm. character, you know, even something like, you know, Spring Awakening or like, or a show that's where the music is just so being used in like a, um, uh, you know, it's sort of separate from the the, 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 the drama. Yeah. Um, I, it's, you know, it's revealing something about the inner lives of these characters. And I think right. like, you know, if we're talking about outcasts and misfits, like we're talking about the people that, you know, maybe seem, uh, seem unhinged, right? Or yeah. the people that you like, you know, you see, uh, out in public, and you're like, oh, what's going on with that person? Right, right. And so, like, you know, the music is it's giving you an answer. It's like, this is what's going on with this person. Yeah, these are yeah. all these things that you can't see just by looking at this, right. this human being. Yeah, I'm thinking of, like, the songs in these shows, then, that are the outsider song, character mm-hmm. song of the show, like Midnight Radio mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, Hedwig, which is where she, like, kind of is, is the acceptance yeah. part of it. Um, like, finishing the hat. Mm-hmm in Sunday in the Park and uh, like waving through a window. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And then uh, in Dear Evan Hansen and then, I mean, Michael in the Bathroom is, yeah. is very much that and that's like, I think that really, that song really affects people and um, gets at, it like really just like gets at people's like emotions about being an outsider. I think mm-hmm. and the music is so important in that thanks yeah yeah you know I think like something that I've done in my work a lot and certainly this is the case with Michael in the bathroom is try to take these moments that seem small to mm-hmm. uh, to someone looking at them yeah like someone locked in the bathroom taking too long yeah. um, and then using musical theater to um, to make the moment feel for an audience what it feels like for the human being experiencing yeah. it you know so it's to take this like this sort of small moment of this guy locking himself in the bathroom and making it feel like the world's hugest thing that has ever happened and right. having it be this like explosive, you know, sort of like, um, you know, tour de force moment yeah. of musical theater because that's what it feels like yeah. for that, you know, for that kid in that right. moment in that bathroom. 
You know, another amazing outsider song mm-hmm. I think is "Somewhere That's Green" from the Shop uh, Cars. Even yeah. though it's like I don't, I guess a lot of people wouldn't think of that as an outsider song, but I just think like that's the ultimate like mm-hmm. you know people looking at Audrey on the street, yeah. you know, in Skid Row would probably right. come to lots of conclusions about her, and then to have that song where it's like she. <laughs> you know, is so pure yeah. in what she wants and also, like, has this awareness that she's never going to get it. Right. It just, it feels like it's adding, like, a layer of, it's a layer of complexity and dignity yeah. um, about something, you know, that's really simple uh, to this character that everyone thinks that they know. Yeah, well, and it's also, like, her being <clears throat> outside looking in. I, mm-hmm. I want that life. I'm not a part of it. <laughs> it's an outsider singing about being, you know, yeah. being outside sort yeah. of disguised as something else. Let's move on to our why is this so good section. <clears throat> We're going to talk about the song <coughs> Cabaret mm-hmm. from <coughs> Cabaret. And so why did you mm-hmm. pick this song? Why do you think it's so good? I picked this song because I think that it does so many different things mm-hmm. um, at the same time. And the song's not all that long. I think yeah. it accomplishes what would take me probably 15 minutes to accomplish in a song. And it does it like pretty much in like four minutes. <laughs> um, I think that it's... Um, you know, depending on which version of Cambrai you're looking at, the placement of it changes a little bit, which I think really yeah. informs really informs the song. Um, but my absolute favorite interpretation of the song, my favorite placement of it is mm-hmm. the revival version of Cambrai, oh. where the song happens <clears throat> um, right right after Sally has made the decision to you know go back to the club. It's the song that she's singing at the club, mm-hmm. and it's right before she goes to get an abortion, mm-hmm. and. Um, I love that it starts in this place of like, oh, you think it's just a a song that's being sung at the cabaret. And it has the, you know, because of where it falls in the the context of the show, you know, the the surrounding the the surrounding things that are happening in the song are so intense. The you know, I mean like the Nazis are coming and everything (laughs) is falling apart. Like this could not be a more heightened moment. So to then have Sally sing this uh, this song that is so um, yeah, you know, sort of like, like cute and nothing right. to it. Um, you know, life is a cabaret, old chums, come to the cabaret. Um, and this sort of like life is, you know, great in the cabaret. It's so, it's, uh, you know, immediately ironic and yeah. it's, it's exciting. And even if it was just that, it would be like a cool, a cool moment, right? What good you sitting alone in your room? Come here, the music play. Life is a cabaret, old chum. But then as the song goes along, um, and she starts talking about uh, Elsie, um, and, you know, it goes into this, like, very specific anecdote about a character we've never heard of before. And it's, um, it comes totally out of the blue, and it's the sort of thing where I know, you know, any time I've ever put a character's name that we've never heard of before in a song, 10 million people have told me why it's a terrible idea, and they're confused, (laughs) and who is, and it's like, and we don't think about it now because we know the song so well, but I'm sure that when they first wrote that song, everyone was like, who's Elsie? Why are we hearing about Elsie? Why is she singing about Elsie in this moment where she was supposed to be singing about Nazis? Right, right. You know? And so I love that it goes into that, and so it totally works as, it feels like the sort of bridge that would be in a song like this. It feels like the sort of bridge it would be in a song that's like a you know a good time you know musical theater number from the the 30s i used to have a girlfriend known as elsie with whom i shared four sordid rooms in chelsea she wasn't what you'd call a blushing flower as a matter of fact she rented by the hour to me it feels like we leave the song Cabaret there, and I yeah. think we go totally, 
um, uh, not even internal. Yeah. I think I always take the, this part of the song as her sort of losing control of her performance. Mm. And I think of it as when I've seen videos of, uh, of, of performers sort of breaking down on stage. Right. Uh, and sort of babbling, which happens a lot, and it's certain it happened a lot, um, you know, maybe years ago mm. when uh, drug use interacted with performance <laughs> in a in a more um, aggressive way or something. Uh, but I feel like you know I think of people like Janis Joplin mm. and uh, you know Dave, there's a few David Bowie performances where mm. he's really messed wow. up and just sort of you know he goes off the rails yeah. and um, and that's what it that's what it has always felt like to me and the 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 cabaret revival. Uh, version like plays into that like right. like whole hog like so over the top yeah. in a way that's like really amazing to me um, but just the idea like the line she was the happiest corpse I'd yeah. ever seen I think <laughs> at the end of that bridge is just like it just is shocking but when I saw her laid out like a queen she was the happiest corpse I'd ever seen. And the fact also that like you can, someone can sing this song and you know, you can sing it at a piano bar and everyone will just be all smiles. Yeah. No one will actually think about what she's saying. Right. Uh, and, um, and I love that that's possible. Musically speaking, it just, the song just like hits me. I think yeah. it is so satisfying where it goes. I think the key change is so satisfying, yeah. you know, and the key change on when I go, I'm going like Elsie. Right. Which also is just the most insane, like after this anecdote of this, yeah. you know, this, this, this terrible story yeah. of her friend who died. Right. When I'm going like Elsie. It's just, you know, it, the music is telling us, yes, this is the best thing that ever happened. Right. But like, like, if you step away, it's like, yeah. you no, don't go like Elsie. Yeah. That's the point of all of this. Have you learned nothing, right. Sally? Um, and and the fact that she has not learned anything, and that yeah. the song actually goes like <laughs> goes farther, right. you know, is just it just blows me away. Yeah. And the repetition at the end is just, I love repetition mm-hmm. in in songs, and the the way that this repetition uh, exists, and the fact that it's like it is so relentless. Yeah. And, you know, it comes to the cabaret old chum. It's only life is a cabaret old chum. It's only a cabaret old chum, and I love a cabaret. Like that, like that. That's like the top of the song, you yeah. know. This just like sort of like screamed, and I love a cabaret. Uh, at the end of this, you know, what is essentially a total like musical breakdown. Yeah. You know, uh, at at this moment for this character in context, that is the worst moment of her life. Yeah. Where she's literally going to leave the stage and get an abortion, which is not only her getting an abortion, but is her sort of killing this one thing mm-hmm. that she had going for her and this one glimmer of hope in her life, and she yeah. decides. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill this baby. Yeah. Um, that that the thing that gets her out the door is, and I love a cabaret is just the, <laughs> the most amazing thing to me. I get yeah. chills talking about it. Oh yeah. And it's and even though we're talking about the song itself, the staging of that moment and the cabaret revival, um, which is something I truly believe this one moment of staging changed my entire life. It changed <laughs> the way I think about theater. Um, the uh, Sam Mendes has uh, Sally at the end of the song throwing her microphone stand over mm-hmm. after an Alava Cabaret and it's the most like rock and roll yeah. gesture of all time and it is shocking to see in the context of a period piece like Cabaret yeah. and um, when I saw the first time the first actress I saw do it was Jennifer Jason Lee 
And when she like threw over the microphone stand at the end of that song, yeah. I think I literally screamed like in oh, in high school, I and I it was just the best thing yeah. I've ever seen, and I still it it just blows my mind. And yeah. this you know this sort of mashup of like classic show tune right. and like, really heightened drama yeah. and a moment that is so grounded in character and a moment that is so mm-hmm. grounded in the themes of the show right, and what it's trying right. to say on a grand scale and is also just completely like badass and punk yeah. rock. It's just everything that I, I aspire oh, to yeah. in musical theater. For me, yes, for me, I made my mind up back in Chelsea. When I go, I'm going like Elsie. Start by admitting from cradle to tomb. Isn't that long? something you're looking forward to or want to talk about that's really great in the world of musical theater? I am looking forward to uh, A Strange Loop at Claret's Horizons mm-hmm. by Michael Jackson. Yeah. He's like my favorite musical theater writer. I love him so much. And I'm looking forward to, uh, this is, uh, I mean, I'm just saying things with the word strange in the title. There's this musical called Strange Tales that Rob Rokicki wrote. Uh, that there's no production lined up, but I just want anyone who's listening to this to go on like a YouTube deep dive. Mm-hmm. It's like my favorite musical that has not uh, sort of seen the light yeah. of day. What's his name again? Rob Rokicki. He's the writer of The Lightning Thief. Oh, um, yeah. And he has the show called Monster Songs that is mm-hmm. also really awesome. But uh, Strange Tale, uh, Strange Tales is uh, these three sort of mini musicals. Uh, about animals and yeah. there, there are these three sort of bizarre stories in, involving human interactions with animals um, that came from the news but it's the most like beautiful writing there's a song wow. called He Feeds Me it's just it's gorgeous Strange Tales Robert Kiki check it out Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on this show Thank you. Thanks for um, having me Yeah, and uh, you know looking forward to more with Be More Chill yeah, and me too. all your other stuff Me too. Thank Great. you, my friend Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. Please rate this podcast on iTunes, subscribe, share it with your friends, and like our brand new Facebook page, Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode.